Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Everybody and welcome back to Generation Ag. It is Kayla here today. A very happy Monday to you if you're listening on release day or whatever day you so happen to be listening to this episode. We've got a great one for you. I say it every week. It's an exciting episode. Maybe that's just my tagline for all the episodes that I get to bring to you. At the risk of including a pun at the start of this episode, I am kind of fired up to bring you this chat about an area of agriculture that I personally, and I know so many of you would not be that familiar with uh, before listening to, or in my case, recording this interview with today's guest. Uh, Today's guest's name is Lachlan Grout. Since establishing Hemp Farms Australia in 2013, Lachlan has been a part of building Australia's budding industrial cannabis industry in almost every facet of the supply chain. Lachlan has primarily focused on the primary production and genetic IP of industrial cannabis with Hemp Farms Australia and now more recently his genetics business as well. Along the way, he built Australia's first hemp-based pet food brand called Therabus and one of Australia's only HPP hemp milks sourced from local growers called Mum Milk. Lachlan has had the privilege of travelling the world and presenting his agricultural findings to international research groups and industry conferences. Throughout this time, Lachlan has also completed studies in hemp agronomy, genetic sequencing and bioinformatics. And as if all of that wasn't enough, Lachlan knew nothing about agriculture before jumping into the hemp industry with his mates when he was just 20 years old. We love a good fresh to agriculture story on this podcast and this one is absolutely no exception. And even more than that, I think Lachlan's story is a fabulous example of how All you really need when you get started in agriculture is a passion and a willingness to just have a go and to learn from those around you. Now you heard in Lachlan's bio, they're doing some work in genetics and we just ran out of time in this episode to cover that because uh, as a a new industry to me and I know to a lot of you, there was a lot of 101 type stuff to get through uh, before we could chat to Lachlan about the genetics. So don't worry, we will have that conversation with him. As you guys know, we're off to Innovation Generation in Queensland in a couple of weeks and um, that is where Hemp Farms Australia is based. So with any luck, we will catch up with Lachlan and the team over there and we will do some more content with them getting to have a look at a hemp crop, hopefully, cross fingers, and also um, asking him about the genetics business as well. So without wasting a moment more of your time, here's the interview with Lachlan. Lachlan, welcome to the Generation Ag podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kayla. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start right at the beginning. Tell us, who are you and what's your connection to agriculture? Um, So I am an industrial hemp farmer by, I guess, business trade. Mm -hmm. Um, My connection to agriculture, uh, so I am a co-founder and currently operate two businesses in the industrial hemp industry. Uh, Both are focused on genetics. Um, as the primary source of the supply chain. So 
uh, specializing in, in industrial hemp and industrial cannabis genetics for both grain and fiber production. Um, always just predominantly focusing on uh, subtropical varieties just due to where we are uh, in Australia. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what yeah, I in, in, in the hemp industry, yeah. Awesome. Um, before we get into your career, I guess, and, and you telling us about HFA and all about growing industrial hemp, um, tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow um, up? So I, nothing too exciting. Um, <laughs> I grew up in, I was born and raised in Brisbane. Um, I grew up with my, my mother and my sister uh, in the northern beaches down in Sydney. Um, so... Yeah, I was always living kind of out of the city in, in areas not too densely populated. And, yeah, big crowds do, do tend to worry me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I then moved up to Brisbane in, in my middle ages of, of school life and uh, then went to high school here. And, yeah, childhood was not too really surrounded by agriculture, but... Um, the family was definitely uh, a type to enjoy going out and camping, um, and a lot of rural shooting um, um, back in the day, got horse riding, lots of different things. But I think the probably the appreciation or where everything maybe stems from now would just be the appreciation for uh, what agriculture or farming and nature does as an aspect as a part of everyone's lives that maybe not everyone realizes how, how much of an important role it has to play um and just through random occurrence and um being lucky in certain times at certain moments um being able to see different parts of the world that over time where you could you could see things were happening not as they probably as so it seemed um, and as not as, as beautifully as everyone had portrayed it to be. Um, and it kind of touched deep with you know, having you know, kids and their kids having kids and kids going on and um, you know, knowing that you know, it's, a, it's a basic principle that Australia's soil is some of the oldest soil in Australia. Um, and if it's already that old and if you hear about and see some of the things that people do with monocropping and um, certain additives to soil and what they're doing to the land kind of scares you um, mm. because all of our food does come from the soil and all of the animals that we eat eat food that comes from the soil um, so essentially you know we are what we eat and we are what comes from the soil and yeah the more the more you take um you know valuation or not valuation for validity um nutrition um, just the realization that yeah, life is all encapsulated in such a single medium. It's so yeah, it kind of just hit me. Um, I just wanted to do something about it. Um, and when I realized that industrial hemp was something that no one had kind of stepped into yet in Australia in a predominant way, um, and it kind of shocked me that we were living the exact opposite to what the Americans were living. So in Australia, we could grow it since legally since 99, uh, but we couldn't consume hemp or hemp oils or we couldn't do anything with hemp um, grain or food or nutrition. Um, so there's no real market for it, but you could grow it. 
um, in Australia, whereas in America, it was legal to consume it. It was legal to eat, you know, hemp bars or hemp bread um, or, you know, wash yourself with hemp lotions or hemp, uh, you know, shampoo and conditioner. But uh, it was illegal to grow it. So the Canadians just spent 20, 25 years perfecting how to grow industrial hemp whilst America fueled the market for it right next door. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that didn't happen in Australia. So we're you know, 20, 25 years behind in, in knowledge and uh, technology to do with industrial hemp. So mm. that was also another bit of a, an impact driver. Um, so, yeah, there was the nature aspect. There was the little to no understanding or knowledge currently in the industry. And then also there was, there was pretty much no competition. Um, yeah. So whatever you, when you jumped in the industry or when we jumped in, um, every kind of step forward was a new step. And we didn't really realise whether it was the right step or the wrong step because everyone was mm. watching us. Mm. Yeah. So we were the ones that were kind of making mistakes and then learning from them. Um, whilst outsiders were learning from them as well um, and then pivoting our strategy and figuring where we want to put ourselves in the market for the ultimate longevity of, of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so interesting. So you started HFA with your business part. That's Hemp Farms Australia for the listeners because we haven't quite covered that yet, I don't think. Yeah. When you were just yeah, 20, we were, is that right? Yeah, 20 years old. There were four of us. Um, mm-hmm. So four very, very good close friends, schoolmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all still are very good friends. Um, and, but, yeah, it, it, it kind of came down to now too. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy journey. Um, and that's not, I'm not saying an easy journey is in with, with four good friends in, in a business. Um, easy journey in an industry that's so underdeveloped that there's, there's no real revenue rolling around. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still in that stage figuring out where you position yourself in the industry um, and what's missing in the industry and can you provide that um, or what is currently being provided or and what's wrong with that? Like why hasn't it grown um, and can you provide it in a better fashion? Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of found the biggest issue in the industry that was affecting everyone um, in every single part of the supply chain. So that was our focus was to attack that issue um, and make sure that the industry can develop and leverage off strong fundamentals, which is genetics. Mm-hmm. How do four young 20-somethings sort of come about starting a farming business? How does that work? What does that look like when you're that young? Did you go to uni? Um, yeah, we all, we all went to uni to some degree. Um, the courses, though, that everyone participated in had absolutely no, um, no connection to agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so I did international business in Mandarin at uni because I did Mandarin at school, so I just followed that on. Um, Harrison, my business partner at the moment, he did a finance thing, economics and accounting degree and an ancient philosophy. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the two other partners, um, Charles and Harry, one was doing a law degree um, and the other was doing a communication creative arts, but then switched to do agriculture as well at Gatlin Uni. So when mm-hmm. this came about, he said, oh, well, there's no point doing that. I'll, I'll do this. Um, but, yeah, so... 
uh, how it came about, um, it, it was quite strange. Um, it's a very long story and I won't go deep into it now because I've been here for hours, but <laughs> we were all listening to very similar, uh, I guess you'd call them influencers. Um, mm-hmm. And influencers, I mean, back in those days, um, there were, you know, people like uh, that were doing interesting podcasts like Joe Rogan, um, mm-hmm. the interesting people he'd have on his podcast. We were listening to them because a lot of those professional nutritionists, um, they were professional ancient historians, and those different people had mentioned, you know, oh, did you know that industrial hemp is one of the oldest known um, crop by humans? You know, 3,000-year-old fossils have been found in China. That was like, what? Um, the next one was, did you know that hemp protein is one of the best plant proteins in the plant kingdom? Um, it's the most easily digestible plant protein out of all plants, um, known to humans and animals. Um, I, I didn't know that either. That was another, what? So all these things kept coming. Um, you know, you can build houses or you can build biodegradable plastics from, from hemp. Um, the crop only takes 100 days, yet a pine tree would take 40 years to grow. And these things just kept clicking. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of came together and thought, you know, who, who kind of cares if we have no farming background or who cares if, um, you know, we don't know anything about industrial hemp. The funny thing is that no one seems to. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when we started telling people these things, you know, you'd, you'd be at, you know, at a barbecue on a Sunday with your friends and you'd randomly spit out a couple of facts about that and people would be like, what? <laughs> okay, how does that affect me? Um, and, yeah, the eventuation then came into reality and we actually put something together and made it, made it happen and started to, yeah, go and learn um, and, and question and travel to all of the... At that point in time, I guess fathers or founding fathers of the Australian hemp industry, um, we sought them out and we sat down with them and spoke to all of them um, and kind of learnt what was going on, how to get in, um, who to be friends with, who not to be friends with. Um, but, you know, that's all. You take everything with a grain of salt, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that, that's kind of how we just went in and we just went at it. Um, no fear at all of failure and our first crop, our first crop did fail. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of maybe, um, and you can probably shed some light on this, but, you know, you were 20 at the time and you said back in the day, but really, you know, this is less than a decade ago, um, you guys planted your first hemp crop and, and it failed. But I think that's the beauty of being so young when you get started, right? There's kind of this um, rose-coloured glasses and, confidence that comes with not having failed at it before exactly it, yeah I mean we did learn a lot from that failure yeah you touched on a little bit just then but I'm interested to know um I guess you must have got a lot of support you know you have to pull on a lot of levers I guess to put in your first hemp crop like where do you source the seed and the machinery and all of that kind of thing to sort of yeah you know sow a hemp crop and then also harvest it at the end so probably the most difficult part was getting a license uh, back in it was February, February, March 2013. Mm-hmm. And we, the questionnaire or so the process you go through 
to get a license and then you have um, different referrals that you write on there. So three standard referrals that you could, the the Department of Primary Industries or the police could call upon to make sure that you were a, um, you know, a a just person that should receive a a cannabis growing license. Mm -hmm. And our referrals got calls and the questions that they were being asked was just, it was so hilarious. Like, yeah. For example, um, would you suspect Lachlan to ever be a part of or kingpin of a drug, like a drug trade distribution network or something? (laughs) Like, yeah, one of these people was just like one of my friend's dads, for example, and he is just laughing on the phone, like, you're not serious, are you? Um, You didn't know if the call was serious or not. But, yeah, I mean, and they don't do that anymore. Um, mm-hmm. because the whole, I mean, we, we had the whole process to get a license is a lot more professional now and there's a lot more standards you can look to and there's police checks that can be done and blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah. To get the sea, to get the land, um, we were able to lease both of those, not lease the sea, but we were able to lease land from um, one of our partners um, that was in the company. Um, we had some land we leased some machinery. So obviously we went and got quotes for different people that could do it for us. Um, or we could just get someone to teach us how to drive a tractor and then have a crack at it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of that back and forth, um, doing it ourselves, get something better to do, do it, compare and contrasting, compare and contrasting costs, compare and contrasting results and, and so on. So mm-hmm. we did go at it very, very, Snaily, nice and slow, nice and steady, mm-hmm. even though the first one did fail. Um, that was an issue that was completely unforeseen, but um, mm-hmm. we now know how to stop that kind of issue, but it's a very simple thing. You just do a germination <laughs> test, but, yeah, it's something we, we didn't do. Um, uh, but, yeah, after that, there were successful crops, um, and then it was really a matter of, I mean, back then our business model, you know, looked like that and now it looks like you know it's completely different like Mm -hmm. it's it's changed um that's just simply from making mistakes and um learning you know no we don't need to be doing that we need to be doing more of this um this Mm -hmm. is our focus that's not yeah yeah cool for for the uh hemp newbies among us which i'm sure there are many i'm certainly one give us the hemp growing 101 like what's the climate you mentioned the growing season length before um yeah what's it most similar to is it kind of like a cereal crop how does it work so hemp is very much like a um it's like a hops crop very very similar to a hops crop mm-hmm. um the one thing to probably make very clear is uh Cannabis L sativa is is hemp itself. Um, there's cannabis sativa, cannabis uh, indica, and uh, cannabis rubellaris. Uh, it operates as a male and female species. So for females to seed, uh, you need you need males to pollinate, and for pollination to hit females, you need bees or you need wind. Um, either works well. Uh, now, when you grow for medicinal cannabis. You don't want females to produce seed. You want them to produce flower. 
Um, and that's when you start to produce buds um, or, and that's when you start to produce cannabinoids within those, within those flowers or, or buds. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're growing industrial hemp, which is what we focus on, uh, or, or that's what Hemp Farms Australia focuses on, um, you're growing male and female plants. So you're growing for seed or you're growing for fibre. Um, once the males have done their pollinating, they then die off. Uh, and it's just purely females. So the kind of aim of the game is, and a lot of the European breeders have done it now because um, they've been able to produce hemp for 20 plus years legally. So they've been able to optimize their genetics, but they've brought the male population down to about 10%. So if you have a, if you have a kilo of seed and at the moment, what we currently work with, um, because Australian varieties are only at this stage, is there's about 40, 45% male population. The rest is female. So when you plant a kilo out, you know that at least 40% of it's going to die off mm. and the rest will produce plants that now produce grain for you, which is what you're harvesting for, for your money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, whereas the European varieties have got that male population down to 10%. So you have a lot more females now producing valuable grain for you and a lot less males dying off per kilo that you put out into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's the optimal climate. Um, the best thing about uh, cannabis or cannabis is that you can almost grow it anywhere. Um, it is a crop that originated in the Siberian area. Um the funny way that it got itself down to tropical areas is just seeds being picked up and put in either clothes or pockets or whatever mm-hmm. over thousands of different years, or thousands of years, um, working its way to different regions, being planted there, um, and then so on and so on. It's a very hardy crop. It is a weed. Um, so when you do grow a high, um, a high population of it per square metre, the it does choke out other weeds so it competes with them mm-hmm. which is great because it kind of reduces the need to put um you know different chemicals down for for broad leaves and whatnot or, or grasses uh, which mm-hmm. can be a big issue for for crops that don't get, have enough vigor and get up out of the ground and, and kind of block out that that soil with uh with their canopy cover um so very much like growing hops um but yeah it's a it's a very a lot of organic matter, um, um, organic material. Sorry, there's a lot of biomass in it. Um, does love water, just like every plant loves water, but doesn't mm-hmm. like heat. Um, so yeah, it yeah, it's a very very interesting crop. That's for sure. Um, I've seen it grow in many different ways. Seen it grow on five foot, you know, yielding a lot of grain, and seen it up to twenty five foot yielding no grain at all just a huge 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 tall tree step wow this is so interesting you sort of mentioned it before and I I wonder if you would elaborate around some of the misconceptions around commercial cannabis because I'm sure you've come up against a lot of barriers both that it's an emerging industry and therefore there's no regulations that exist or that existed at the time maybe around the production of commercial cannabis in Australia but then also you know societal misconceptions about what growing cannabis or commercial hemp would even look like 
once you have a license, you know, we've got a really good relationship with the Queensland DPI. So they're the licensing body who allow people to get a license to grow industrial cannabis or industrial hemp. Mm. You know, Queensland or for every state, there's a, there's a department of primary industries that governs that. Um, now each person that gets licenses will need to go through a police check. Um, and if there's anything that comes up that they don't like, then they just won't give you a license. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. There has been, you know, I guess some politics or uh, delays in getting things approved, such as when you when you want to plant a crop. The old way was you had to give, you know, a couple of months notice um, or if you had just submitted a license that you had filled out an application, you just submitted it, you'd have to give up to three months. Um, you know, say if you're a big grower, you had lots of things going on, you had this big hemp crop planned, you had no ill intention um, or anything to do with drug-related or illegal activity yet, you submitted your license and you needed to plant that crop within a month because say you submitted it in January and you're only planting windows from, you know, 1st of February to the 1st of March. Otherwise mm-hmm. you miss the planting window and people have windows where they're putting water on, um, they're letting, you know, broadleafs or, or, or weeds grow, um, they're spraying those out and then they're planting into moisture after they've rained it or something along those lines. Everyone's got a different regime. But um, say if you put your application in and even though it would take the person sitting at the desk in the office an hour to go through the paper and approve it, they sit there and just whatever it is, whatever they've got other priorities, I'm sure they don't because there's not many people applying for licences in Queensland. Um, So it's not like there's 100 licences sitting on their desk waiting to be approved. There's probably two max at the time, maybe you're three or four every fortnight. Um, yeah, and they use some. They used to use that three months to, you know, allow you to stick to what they've adhered to and said. You know, wait up to three months, and now you've got someone that was probably going to put a really good hemp crop in. Um, was going to obviously help the industry show that there's more interest in it and there's people doing it. But now he can't hit his planting window because his license hasn't been approved in time. Mm. Yeah, simple things like that. Uh, and they're easy to fix because you can just call a big council meeting in or, um, you know, now that we have good relationships with them, we can just go and have a meeting with them directly and say this needs to be fixed. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it definitely has been. Yeah. Why do you think uh, hemp isn't grown more commonly in Australia? I think the education around hemp is, is really missing. Uh no one really knows, you know, there's some astonishing products out there that are used by some pretty hectic people um, that if a lot of people knew about and they knew that there was access to it, which there has not been, so that's another issue, um, and that it was well-priced and available and available all the time, which is, you know, what a good product needs is a, is a strong supply chain behind it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you, know, you can get... Crunchy, bloody Cadbury specials swirl mix for like six weeks and then you don't see it again. You, you're all depressed. Like it's kind of annoying when it doesn't keep coming. So like I, it's the same with this kind of, you, you have um, 
couple of good examples. Um, the Queen of England, her horse stables or her horse barracks have and stables, they are all bedded with hemp bedding, so hemp fibre bedding. Um, apparently it's one of the only breathable beddings out there that allows horses to sleep on it all throughout the night without having any congestion issues or anything. Um, there's there's a lot of livestock feed using hemp meal being crushed into pelletized edible pellets uh, that are, is increasing the um, ruminant or the bioavailability and the nutrition uptake of like cattle and livestock ruminary systems. Mm. So you can feed hemp meal with a smaller volume of a ration because there's more nutrients that are going to be sucked from that ration um, and less uh, nutrients out the back. Uh, so therefore your animal is getting more from less meal that you're providing it. So therefore your cost per feed per animal goes down as well. So there's a lot of interesting, uh, these facts aren't known to the everyday feedlot person in Australia or, mm. um, you know, the omega-3, 6 and 9 benefit uptake in feeding chickens a hemp meal pellet uh, in a daily ration and things like that, improving uh, egg yolk nutrition. There's all these little things that have been popping up, people doing research, but it's just not known. Um, and then again, the supply hasn't been there either. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, they're too, it's the same thing, chicken and the egg situation. No one wants to grow a huge amount of it um, without there being a big, a big order. Uh, mm. No one wants to order a big, a big amount of it because they don't know if anyone's going to buy all of it. Mm. Are there processing facilities, like, easily accessible for you guys? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's probably... Uh, five very very big hemp processing facilities in Australia at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, they're all for grain. Uh, there's probably two fiber processing facilities. Um, they're quite small, but they're, they're up and running. Mm -hmm. That's all very very interesting. Um, what about the performance? I was reading an article that you had um, been interviewed in, and you talked in that about um, the ability of hemp to be able to sequester carbon yep. in the soil. So hemp is, yeah, it's, it's one of the largest, the biggest carbon sequestering plant in the world, um, and it does it in the shortest amount of time. Mm. That's something that a lot of people are looking at closer now due to a lot of the the pledges that the governments are making to obviously yeah, being green or carbon emission free or I think Australia just opted some don't don't hold me to the number but somewhere between 300 and 350 billion over the next 40 years to mine carbon back from uh, people who obviously uh, were sucking up carbon uh, and and getting carbon credits for it carbon credits yeah um, that's a whole other market in itself as well. Um, that's a whole other revenue stream for farmers as well, mm. literally just for growing a crop um, mm. on top of obviously what they're selling from the harvested material. Mm. Is, something that, is that something that you guys are investigating in, like as a commercial opportunity? Um, it's not something that 
we're investigating. It's definitely something that a lot of our clients and our seed buyers are investigating heavily into. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the mining companies are looking into it. Um, a lot of the carbon credit play companies are looking into it um, who have farming as a part of their carbon play uh, with feedlotting as well. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, what else did I want to ask you? Oh, yeah. Um, you're also on the Australian Hemp Council, correct? You're the president. <laughs> did I read that right? Yeah. Uh, tell us about the role of the Australian Hemp Council. I'm sure it um, plays an important part in, you know, freeing up the the industry to be able to perform the way it needs to. Yeah, I think the formation of the Hemp of the Queensland Hemp Council was something that was very, very much needed. Um, every other state in Queensland, I think, bar Northern Territory has a has a state council. Um, there was uh, an Australian Industrial Hemp Association mm-hmm. that I think still is a peak body for the industry, but it, really, it kind of represents both the medicinal companies, um, the some of the processing grain and fiber companies and a lot of you know individual guests uh, yeah, a lot of guests and members from around australia nationally or also around the world mm. um, we're not a part of that association just for reasons of our own but um there needed to be a an association or a council group in australia that represented the growers and, or the peat growers and the processors in australia um, just like any uh, commodity industry in Australia or the world has state by state or even region by region um, for their commodity. Uh, if there's a cotton growers group, if there's a, if there's a corn growers group, um, corn growers group, yeah, it, it goes on and on. And those grower groups uh, pretty much represent a single voice that can help research develop, create, or dismiss chemicals, fertilisers, pesticides, um, research to be done on that species, Mm. all these different things um, so that there's not privatisation and monopolisation of those certain segments. Mm -hmm. Uh, That the industry can benefit from something that they're all paying for from all the crops that they're producing together as one. so, yeah, it was formed, um, Tim Schmidt, a good friend and uh, grower down in Tasmania, he's head of the Tasmanian Hemp Council, and we, yeah, we needed a Queensland one. Uh, there's enough growers and processors and players in Queensland now for us to be able to represent a strong voice um, where we can get things changed or just get um, things changed or, or progressed or, or improved so that uh, we can all operate in a more uh, in a higher quality uh, and also a more sustainable way. It also brings more, more knowledge to everyone in the industry and there's more communication. So, yeah, I think what it is now is quite small, but it is, it is what it is. But I think, you know, maybe in 20 or 30 years, uh, it could be looking like, you know, what the Meat and Livestock Association looked back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, let me ask you then, what does a flourishing uh, hemp industry look like in Australia? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Um, 
I've always believed that currently there are a lot of subpar ingredients or parts of products that are unsustainable, um, that are old, that are that are only produced now because there's no there's no new version or there's no there's there's no better or there's no available there's no sustainable available um, option that can replace it. I think hemp is that replacement. Um, the amount of uses for it is is quite ridiculous. Um, all it requires is a bit of money, and mm-hmm. if there's money to be made in it, then someone's going to do it. Um, I know that's not always the nicest thing, but I think if it's got benefits that can help, you know, the, the environment as well as you know, put money in someone's pocket as well as create a good product that puts something more sustainable out into the public, then mm-hmm. more for it. Um, and if I can be a part of you know, that, that research or that knowledge getting out, then yeah, I feel like I've done something right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really lovely space to end. If people want to know more about you, and I, you touched on the genetics before, but we won't jump into that now. Hopefully we'll get time to chat to you at an, uh, later about maybe some of that stuff that you're doing. Um, how can people get in touch? Where can they learn more about you? Yeah, probably LinkedIn's probably best. Um, I have a lot of articles that I, just from all the studies that I do with sort of genetic sequencing and bioinformatics, and I'm currently doing some hemp agronomy uh, with with an American uni. I write a lot of things that I learn and my own sort of perspectives on them as well (laughs) and put them on our website in our blog. So that's just hempfarmsaustralia.com.au. In the media section, uh, there's some some really cool articles there where I have some interesting perspectives on the future of genetics and um, how I think it will play an important part of our lives. Mm. But, yeah, otherwise, um, probably, yeah, just LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. Awesome. No worries at all. Um, Lachlan, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely enlightening. I've really enjoyed learning about this and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, I would encourage you all to go run over to that uh, the blog post and have a read because, um, yeah, there's a lot there to sort of bring yourselves up to speed with and immerse yourselves in all this knowledge. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Lachlan. I really appreciate you tuning in with me. Thanks, Gail. I appreciate it anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.